Hey, welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. I'm your host, Christina. Here we're going to talk about all things OCD. If you've been enjoying this podcast so far, and if you'd like to work together, come check out my monthly membership called Mastering OCD and join a group of other people like yourself. You can go to www.coreresults.com forward slash membership. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash membership. And see you in there. Hi, and welcome to OCD Whisper Podcast, Dr. Vadreen. Hey, Christina. How are you? I'm good. I'm so, so happy that you decided to come on here and let me interview you, um, especially as a psychiatrist and somebody, I'll be honest, for anybody listening right now, I talk you up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you are um, at least one of the few psychiatrists I, I know who really understands OCD and also not just from the psychiatric standpoint, but also understand CBT, acceptance commitment therapy, and, and really the whole um, structure of how everything works from, from the treatment standpoint, from behavioral therapy, as well as you know, the, the medication standpoint. Um, and I think that one of the things that I know folks would love to hear a little bit about um, is from, from what you know, what is the current studies or research um, in terms of what's the kind of the best treatment from the medication standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we can start with that and kind of what you can tell us about that. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to be really simple. I think of it in three different ways, tried and true, which um, we have huge amounts of research that the SSRIs, the, the Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, that class of medications are still the gold standard um, first go-to. And I think that the important take home from those is that they're all equal. So there's no research that says one, you know, Prozac is better than Zoloft or anything like that. From what we know, there's an equal chance of all of those working. You just have to find the right one for any one person. Um, and 60% or so of people, maybe a little bit more, um, tend to get a lot better with those. Um, if they can tolerate side effects, not everyone has side effects, not everyone has bad side effects. So definitely worth, worth trying. Um, and people who don't respond to those, uh, there's the class of medications that are generally referred to as antipsychotic medications. They're dopamine blocking agents. Um, there is some good evidence that in certain proportion of OCD patients, those can be really effective generally in low doses. So, um, they do have slightly more concerning side effects and we are more cautious about going to them. Um, but in low doses, it's usually something that we can manage and, and watch and track. And for some people, they make a huge difference. So that's not your first line, but certainly if someone's struggling, we would go to those. Um, so that's kind of the try and true, I would say. Then there's sort of this like on the cusp of, of new stuff. So brain stimulation treatments like TMS or transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, there's research going on in, in ketamine. So these are more, can we enhance the effects of therapy with brain stimulation? Can we specifically target regions of the brain that we know are involved in OCD with ketamine? Can we give someone rapid relief or maybe, you know, increase neuroplasticity in a way that they can progress quicker than they otherwise would? And that's a really cool area. Um, our practice is, is doing some of that kind of stuff. And there's ongoing research in the Bay Area and other places for that. And then the last thing I would say is sort of like what's on the horizon, the kind of exciting stuff of the future. And I think all of the mental health field, but certainly OCD as well, is looking towards what will come of psychedelic uh, assisted therapies and interventions. And so 
There are two trials right now that I know of going on in the country for magic mushrooms or psilocybin for OCD. So we'll, that'll be really interesting to see what comes of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, there's really cool stuff happening. This is the most probably research with new things that we've had in a, in a really long time. So, you know, first of all, I love the way you broke that down. It's actually really simple and direct. And I think I'm going to ask you an extra question about one sure. of the areas, because I think I've seen people question that area, which is the, the, the ketamine. Um, there's been a little more articles and talk about mm-hmm. that. So can yeah. you talk a little bit about the specific treatment and kind of where things are at with that? Because again, like you said, I know tried and true that's still the gold standard, just like ERP still the gold standard. Yep. Absolutely. But, um, there's just a lot of, I think, questions around that. So, so right now, um, you know, officially there, there's nothing there for OCD. I mean, it's not FDA approved. There has not been large scale OCD trials that you know, have, have pushed the clinical practice forward yet in that area. It's ketamine is um, FDA approved for depression and suicidality. So it's, it's available now. Um, I know Stanford and I believe Yale, and I'm sure there's others that have done some research. They're doing research actively with ketamine or ketamine-like products and drugs in OCD. So um, what, we, what it looks like so far is there certainly can be some rapid relief from some of these, but how long does that actually last? Is it more than a couple of weeks? It remains to be seen. Um, and how to optimally mix it into the algorithm for treatment is still up in the air. So I think we're waiting to see. Um, certainly someone who is in a really severe place, who has tried all the other things we've talked about, who's also really depressed, um, you know, it's probably a reasonable thing with their psychiatrist to consider what S-ketamine can do, again, in the more severe cases right now. Um, but there really isn't clear clinical guidelines at this point. It's not FDA approved. So that would be sort of an off-label kind of experimental thing, um, which sometimes is reasonable. Yeah, because, I mean, <clears throat> I think we can all agree that with OCD, of course, we're not trying to avoid the anxiety and, and make right. it quote, quote, easier. But like you just said a couple of times, but if it's really severe cases and perhaps to help them be yeah. able to do their exposure work, um, it m- might be something, but yeah, you yeah. have to consult with your psychiatrist. And the thing with all of these rapid acting agents, I think, is I've seen people do them and, and feel that and then say, oh, thank God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit back and relax now. And I think where we want to go is, okay, we've, we've got you down to a working place. Now, can you dive into ERP? Can you go do the exposures that you were too scared to do? And, and to me, that's going to be the real important piece. I actually think you just said the nail on the head. That's exactly right. Um, it is that, yeah, exactly. It's not, because I think there's still this notion of I'm going to find some magical quick solution, boom, I'm right. done. And it's like, no, no, it's not that you're done. You need to still proactively have your brain relearn that you can be with those triggers or be with those. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, now that you're in a working place, yeah, yeah. probably would be the. And I, I did mention, I should put out there because, um, Deep brain stimulation for, for really treatment-resistant severe cases is also actually been around for a while and, and is a really reasonable intervention that as a field we underutilize. It sounds scary. There's a lot of stigma. People are worried because it's a brain surgery where they put in a stimulator. But for really severe cases, certainly where people are not functioning very much, um, there's actually pretty good evidence and, and good results um, with using deep brain stimulation for OCD. Now, certainly you would try all the other stuff first. Um, but, uh, you know, Stanford and UCSF, both in our area are, are doing that. And, and in cases where other things haven't worked, that, that is a reasonable thing to think about, or at least be talking with doctors about. Yeah. Like you said, exactly. I mean, I think like, like any treatment, you want to try the, the least invasive things first, Absolutely. do the best you can really put all your effort. And then, you know, yeah, if it's so severe and you're just not getting results, then 
yeah, it might be another option to consider. Okay, yeah. awesome. Um, so I think the next question I have, and this is my last question is, <clears throat> so I know that in psychoeducation and, and kind of everything we know so far, when we are talking with folks that, you know, OCD is a neurobiological disorder, we understand there's parts of the brain that are impacted, like your flight and fight response gets activated. So it feels mm -hmm. very real. Um, you can't even perceive things accurately. There's the basal ganglia in the brain that's, that's impacted. But I wonder kind of what's your take or how would you talk about the feeling states um, in OCD experiences outside of just anxiety, like the the specifically, you know, the level of intensity of emotions or just understanding, of, you know, I don't know if there's any studies around this or patterns, or if it's more, you know, that, you know, the parts of the brain that are impacted in OCD are really kind of the same for everybody, but it's highly individualized in how you're raised and your specific cultural context and, and your, you know, just your own family dynamics and so on. And, and that, that might impact, um, also how you emotionally react to things. So I don't know how, if you could speak to that a little bit in terms of the emotional component. Yeah, um, I can try. <laughs> so I'm not, a, I'm not a neuroscientist at the end of the day, so I'm sure there are people that could do this more eloquently. But I guess I would say, um, one, if any of us thought that, you know, if we did this thing, it would kill a family member, we would all freak out, right? And that, that that's a, that's a response that would make sense. Um, the problem with OCD that we know is that the thermostat is off. Um, and so where they see that as a real possibility or the way that they react um, overshoots what is normal and in situations that don't make sense. And so I think of it as two, two realms in the brain that we're considering of in kind of general. So there is the, the fear centers, the kind of basic raw motion places, the amygdala, like you said, um, others. And we do see in OCD that um, those areas are hyperactive. So that they are more active than they should be. And that's specific to the things the patients are worried about. Um, but you could ask those same people, what about these other things that everyone else is worried about, you know, like natural disasters and this or that, and, and they don't even respond as much. So the brain's inappropriately overacting to, to areas that don't make as much sense and sometimes even at the expense of paying attention to more important things. And then there's the, the kind of processing center, if you will, the frontal lobes, the frontal cortex where we, um, we assess information, we take in the results of what we just did, and then we decide how we're going to tweak that. And so there's lots of evidence um, that in OCD – people struggle with cognitive control. That's the, the kind of fancy neuroscience name for, you know, when you're coming up to a stoplight and the light turns yellow, do I hit the gas and go or do I hit the brakes and stop? Mm -hmm. Or if you are playing baseball and you see the pitch and it looks like it's a curveball, how do you adjust your swing? Or for OCD, you know, when you wash your hands and then you realize that you're doing this over and over again. It's not helping you. So you're, you're taking in that, you know, you can't stop it. You're, you know, you can't, um, it doesn't feel like you're done, but you know, this is hurting you. You know, you're not going to be late to the appointment if you don't stop. And with, with intact cognitive control, we would say, this doesn't make sense. This isn't helpful. I'm going to change. But in OCD, people have a really hard time doing that. They say, you know, as you know, I, I know this doesn't make any sense, but I can't get myself to stop. Um, so that's the whole area of the brain where we're, we're trying to bring that on more, more robustly and try to improve it. You know, we do a lot of TMS in my practice and 
part of what we do at TMS is we try to strengthen that part of the brain that comes on and resists the compulsion or ignores the obsession. Um, so Stanford and UCSF both are doing some cool trials right now where they're going to look at the, those two centers in some ways, two different OCD targets. Um, is it the part of the brain that may be more involved in generating inappropriate fear and obsessions or the part that kind of comes on for cognitive control to, to resist and ignore and, and suppress? And so I think for any one person, um, biologically, it could be more one or the other or some combination of both. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I often think about it. You're totally going right in there. So then to dial it in a little bit more, so how would you say, or what what is your, um, maybe your understanding of how then in OCD this impacts the emotions, you know, because it can be really anything like anxiety, shame, guilt, um, I mean, not just fear, but, you know, embarrassment or, you know, and, and they can really be super intense. Like I was thinking, you know, for example, somebody who is raised with more, uh, let's say rigidity, um, mm-hmm. or somebody who is raised with, um, let's say, specific religiosity, um, right? They will be taught that certain things are wrong, certain things are right, or that you have, like in the rigidity comp- example, it might be that, you know, you always have to do things correctly. So then there's going to yeah. be this over uh, sensitivity, and then they're going to have this oversensitivity and, and that feeling of feeling bad and wrong. And, yeah. you know, that'll be much more prevalent in the example of somebody raised with the religiosity. Um, they might be taught that, you know, certain sets of thoughts or even feelings are bad or, you know, you know, devilish or whatever. Um, and so if, if anything like that arises, they'll have more uh, sensitivity towards shame and guilt, um, so I yeah. want to know kind of what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, we know it's a really obviously common thing in OCD. I, I think it's a product of both. So there's there's a genetic biological predisposition to this, and, and you may be more prone for those centers to be more active, like we said. But also, like, if we, you know, if you think about really rudimentary experiments where, you know, every time you touch a doorknob, for instance, we gave you a shock, right? Well, so then every time you came to that doorknob in the future – you would inappropriately become, well, appropriately, because you got shocked, but you would start to develop this increasing fear response that, that was, you know, larger than normal. And so that, I, I think it's the the combination of those. So at some point, maybe they had more fear around something a little bit above average, but then they also reinforced it. And so they taught themselves that actually, I saved myself, or thank God I did this, or I protected someone, right? And so then there's that that behavioral piece where you're reinforcing it and, and teaching it to yourself in some ways over time. So I think it's, uh, I, I don't know if this is answering your question, but I think it's that interplay between both of those where it kind of goes over shooting and then you're teaching it or you're reinforcing it and you're, 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 you're promoting it in some ways over time, which is why as you know, exposure therapy is, is so important. Um, yeah, that, that's, That's that's, that's pretty much aligned with what I I understood as well, because it's not like there is any specific, like we know the flight and fight response, for example, gets activated. It's not like there's the guilt feeling center that that expressed or the shame feeling center that it's not like that, but but that it is is both of these elements together. And then exactly Mm -hmm. because you're, you know, you don't just don't know what's happening. So you think you're protecting yourself, but actually you're reinforcing that feeling state and the fear state. And so everything starts to escalate very rapidly. Yeah. I mean, there, there, are, there is, you know, also the areas in the brain involved in disgust and sort of shame and some of that stuff that we do see as being important too and may have some extra activity. And I, I think, um, 
I think we think this, but it's not all worked out yet, but not all OCD is probably the same. So we know not all depression is the same. There, there's sort of what we call biotypes of depression that may live more in one kind of area or circuit of the brain. That's probably going to be the case with OCD as well. You know, OCD with lots of ticks may be somewhat different from harm OCD, which may have, you know, slightly different from contamination OCD. And I think a lot of studies in the past, especially when looking at treatments, don't separate that stuff out. So we just call everything OCD and move on. Um, and it, it may be that some respond differently. Some may, may work better if we target fear centers. Others may work, respond better to treatments that target that cognitive control frontal cortex or beef up the ability to, to respond differently. Um, so I think that's kind of also where research is going to go and start to figure out what are these different biotypes and how does, how does that look differently person to person? Oh, that sounds really cool, actually. <laughs> One day. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that you um, hopped on here with me. And for anybody listening, how can people find you? So my practice is Mindful Health Solutions. Um, and you can go to www.mindfulhealthsolutions.com um, for any kind of clinical care. And then I'm on uh, Facebook and Instagram at RyanVMD. So pretty easy to find. Um, yeah. Awesome. And I'll put all that in the show notes so nobody has to try to memorize all this in the show notes. But um, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Bye. Thanks for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. If you want ongoing support with live weekly Q&A calls to address your questions about OCD and get topic trainings, please join my membership, Mastering OCD. Go to www.coreresults.com forward slash membership. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash membership.